What's up and welcome to Now Nostalgia Pod, breaking down the best of 2021 TV today. Uh, my name is Pat Sheehan, joined as always by my trusty co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, you ready to count down? I am. Big math guy, counting. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're pro math on the pod, that's for sure, although I'm not very good at it. Um, we notably Dave, don't score anything we review. Yeah. Uh, good point. Uh, uh, we're going to be talking about the best, uh, best TV that we watched this year. And, you know, as we're, as I was thinking about this year and, you know, reviewing some other lists just to make sure I was uh, crossing my T's and dotting my I's, the, the main takeaway I had is just, there's a lot of TV and it's all over the place and it's hard to get to all of it. Um, Always impressed with people like Alan Seppenwall or uh, what's the other guy for Rolling Stone? Is it Daniel Feinberg or something like that? He's at a Hollywood Reporter. Oh, okay. He's at Hollywood Reporter now. Yeah. Um, I, they, they just get to so much. <laughs> they watch so much stuff. Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the things that as we go through our list, we'll probably mention near the end that there's some notable shows that we just have not gotten to for various reasons, whether it's time constraints, whether it's you know, uh, not having access to the platforms. We're only able to afford so much because uh, you need to subscribe so we can uh, get sponsored and uh, pay for all the subscription services, <laughs> bringing you all the content. What, what were some of the takeaways for you just in making this list and general thoughts about the year in TV? Yeah, you know, I, I think this year you finally had television, show, television shows come out that were made during the pandemic. You know, all the holdover shows from 2019, they they came out because the television pipeline was about dried up. You know, TV was definitely more affected by the pandemic the, than movies because movies comfortably just delayed more things and all that, right? So you started to get new things that were made during the pandemic or finished during the pandemic after not being able to complete production before everything shut down and i think it was still a pretty good year you know there's a lot of hbo on my list so in a sense the status quo continues the best in the business continue to be the best yeah no definitely a great year i mean some notable uh shows that are typically on best uh, best of lists you know didn't have seasons this year um and i think the as i think about this year and as we anticipate next year the anticipation of some new shows coming out that may be at the top of these lists next year hopefully um is is kind of sitting with me so uh i i agree i had a lot of hbo on this list um but kind of all over i had a couple of netflix a couple of disney um couple uh i had an amazon show on here dave uh yeah. which and I had a, an FX show. So, you know, t like I said, TV's all over the place, man. Um, good stuff, though. I, I agree. I think it's still a solid year. And I also liked that my list was uh, varied between shows that premiered and shows that um, are like mainstays for me at this point atop the, the year in TV. It feels like there's an influx of just good stuff all the time. <sighs> With that said, any other general thoughts on the year in TV before we move on? Uh, I mean, I feel like there's not like anything super monumental. Yeah, there were some huge flashpoint shows. We'll be getting to some of them soon. But like, 
you had Par- CBS All Access rebrands as Paramount Plus, mm-hmm. and yet you can't watch Yellowstone on Paramount Plus because the Yellowst- Paramount Network show Yellowstone, the rights were sold to uh, was it Peacock for Paramount yep. Plus was ready for prime time. Really funny stuff, but Yellowstone kind of carrying a cable on its back, uh, and by all accounts, it's still as good as it's been. So that's cool to see. Shout out Taylor Sheridan, one of the hardest working men in Hollywood, but. Yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of Netflix. It's a lot of HBO, right, at the top. And your other players are still hanging around. FX still has a really high batting average, just a lower volume. Amazon, well, you know, it's Amazon. <laughs> I think when people know uh, how up and down they can be with original content. But I think overall, like, not, nothing's too surprising, right? Like, there, there's, there's a... Yeah, there there were some Peacock shows people liked. I guess Apple had more of a showing than they've had recently with the continuation of Ted Lasso and then something like For All Mankind leveling up with season two. But I think overall, it was kind of a status quo year. It was hard to see anything like major being changed. And I guess, you know, down the line, we're seeing the FX on Hulu branding going away. FX is going to be like a, Hulu hub now so maybe things will become more stratified in 2022 but yeah I don't think there was a whole lot of like major change right like like the MGM acquisition by Amazon hasn't come to fruition uh yet and also was probably going to be more of a movie thing in the short term anyway so like th- there hasn't been anything too crazy I feel like yeah I, I don't think there's anything too crazy, but I do think there's maybe two notable themes um or stories that probably are worth talking about, and I think we'll touch on some of these on the list potentially uh and that's the continued search for the next game of Thrones um and every network kind of trying to find their thing we've uh we reviewed co- quite a few shows this year that are very much in that fantasy uh realm, you know things like formation or the wheel of time come to foundation mind. foundation uh girls get in formation for foundation uh you know those those shows had varying levels of success and, and critical acclaim uh, uh i think i didn't necessarily jive with either one of them um or any of the those type of shows but like i said i'm very much looking forward to House of Dragons coming out next year. So just getting more Game of Thrones. And whenever we get the uh, Amazon uh, Lord of the Rings, yeah. uh, excited Fall for that. Fall 22. So potentially that that well, that search will, will end, which will be nice. <laughs> but uh, a lot of shows going for very big shows. And then I think also a very big property breaking into the TV world in a big way. Marvel um, right. consistently putting out shows and keeping the conversation about it ever present. Um, and that's, you know, I think that point is exacerbated as Hawkeye is uh, on the penultimate episode of their season. So, uh, you know, just any general thoughts around those, those two themes that come to mind for you? Yeah. on one hand, seeing them, all the Marvel stuff happen this year and going so big, right. You had four live action series plus an animated series and that volume's going to continue. Pandemic release affected the delays affected the release of some of those shows, the order release order of some of those shows. But either way, like uh Marvel is fully in the TV game and 
if, if there was ever a point of Marvel saturation, it's because of the movies with the TV, right? Four movies and four shows is a big ask. And on the other hand, it wasn't like a, like a brand new thing to me because I feel like we got used to this sort of thing from Disney Plus because of The Mandalorian being out for two seasons. So kind of getting up for one of these big IP shows on Disney Plus wasn't super new to me, honestly. Definitely not super new. Uh, I do agree that there's this oversaturation of Marvel. Uh, it was already kind of happening before the TV shows and just, you know, even more saturated now. Although I will say I'm pretty hyped to uh, talk about our year-end list and see if any Marvel movies make our year-end movie list um, in the future. But I think it's I think it's time we kind of just start diving into what, what stood out to us this year. Dave, I'll start with number 10. Because I don't know if I have a ton to say about mine. Just a, a continued delight, and that's Ted Lasso. Um, coming from uh, Jason Sudeikis, Bill Lawrence, um, Brendan Hunt. You know, the, those three made one of the most surprising television shows of last year. One of the most feel-good television shows of last year. And I think that really continues, even if it's not as consistent of a season as season one. I think season two had some some real great moments i think it had some real great character growth and development a lot of focus on mental health this season specifically ted's um mental health but also uh you know beard gets an episode where they're kind of exploring his mental health um you get uh, a little bit between roy kent and keely about what's going on between them uh nick muhammad who probably had the the biggest character arc as uh, nate this season and where his character ends up around and, and what's going on for him. I, it just feels like a show that not only leaves you with a, a really good feeling most weeks, but it also is really fleshing out and coloring in the edges really well. And uh, I appreciate that to um, maintain uh, the, the feel good nature of the show, I think is the main thing. Cause that's what people keep coming back for. It's not the funniest show, you know, it's a, it's a comedy, but I don't necessarily find it to be like super funny. I just kind of come for for the good vibes and uh, I I enjoy the character growth as well. So Ted Lasso, my number 10, any thoughts on Ted Lasso? Yeah, I would just say, I think season two is a lot better than season one, just because you have your feel good nature. You have the characters you've come to know, but now there's actual conflict. There's actual tension on the show. Season one had no interest in maintaining anything like that. Right. As anyone who was any kind of a villain on the show, becomes an ally or a friend by the end of that season or the beginning of season two, but due to, you know, stuff in uh, Ted's personal life, relationship issues, Nate's turn. Now there's some actual like conflict and road being uh, laid, I think for the future of the show to have a, I think a deeper dramatic uh, intent while still kind of being your fun dad jokey you know ted lasso that you yeah. come to know so yeah i like this season a lot more than the first one which i was kind of lukewarm on but ted lasso my number 10 dave what do you ten? my number 10 is sex education season three the british comedy on netflix from Lori nunn and the reason i have season three here is nice return to form 
for the series after taking a, a dip, a small dip, but taking a dip from season one to season two. But at this point, three seasons in, sex education has just done the work, put in the time to make you invested in these characters, in these relationships, so that when the inevitable teenage melodrama happens, your love triangles, your conflicts, however mundane, however stupid, and everything in between, you care because you like all these people. You know who these people are by now. And I think the show just has a tremendous ensemble that it really knows how to use. And, you know, along the way, I think in season three, Mimi Keem's Ruby was a real revelation, became one of the most popular characters on the show in season three. But overall, you just have so many characters you like. And even if maybe some of them had smaller arcs in season three and they didn't pass seasons, everyone still seems to have some kind of forward momentum while the show tackles a, a litany of uh, teenage and, you know, uh, sex, sex positive themes. Like it's kind of a multi-layered show in terms of its messaging, but uh, at the end of the day, you just care about all these characters by now. So I found it really satisfying. Yeah. Uh, sex education was a show that I really considered for the back end of my list as well. Um, and I, I really liked the uh, presence of uh, Jemima Kirk on this season as mm-hmm. like kind of the villain um, as Hope ha- uh, Haddon, who was the no- new headmaster. Um, and, you know, they, they explore a lot of different themes on this show. Like you said, I mean, they brought in a character this season who is, uh, you know, non-binary. And uh, I, I thought that was a really interesting aspect on uh Robin Holiday as Layla. Sorry, I, I was looking for the character's name here in my notes. Uh, and I think just the show <laughs> is able to, like you said, sustain its level of, of uh, excellence by the characters that it's built up and then bring more into the fold. I mean, the way that um, Adam, played by um, Connor Swindellis, has come around as a character from being villain of season one to now probably being one of the most beloved empathized with characters oh i thought it's absolutely manolan true testament oh um you know even his dad the uh michael this season um played by alistair petri um kind of getting that moment to stand up to his brother and like fleshing out that character he goes from being just such a dick in the eyes of the viewer to being a fully realized and understood and sympathetic person it's uh really impressive the, the show just yeah. is humming all the time so good good shit for sure ah dave you know i, I like to cheat on these lists right and i, I did it again <laughs> i mentioned marvel and i couldn't pick just one marvel show to be on this list but i didn't uh, really want to give them two spots so i'm giving num- my number nine shows shows of the year is Loki and WandaVision. You're letting them oversaturate your list. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I think I think that there were definitely things that were better. This is why it's only number nine on my list. But I really just found myself admiring certain aspects of of these TV shows. WandaVision, I think the you know, episode to episode uh different homage to a certain uh, sitcom style um, and the way that 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 developed and the way that they built the episodes around that I thought was just really clever and well done and and fun and interesting really sucked sucked me and made me want to watch the show when it dropped every week and then building out uh, 
characters like Catherine Hahn, who I just did mm. not expect to like be just like fully invested in Catherine Hahn as part of the Marvel, uh, the episode of you. And here I so am. You're, so you're saying you're excited for the Agatha Harkness spinoff that's coming? Because I don't know I don't, about I don't you. Know. I don't know about me. That that's a little that's a little superfluous in my opinion. I don't know if I'm like super excited about it, but I enjoyed seeing it and I hope that whatever Wanda's journey from here is that, you know, we, we see Agatha in some way. Um, and, you know, I don't ever think Catherine Hahn's a bad thing. You know, like uh, she, she just needs more work. Um, but I, I also found it to, to be pretty moving at times. You know, I think the line that gets a lot of credit is like, what is grief if not love, like persevering, mm. um, which was actually echoed recently in an interview that Andrew Garfield did, which I thought was interesting. Check that out. I think it was with um, Jimmy Kimmel, maybe James Corden, one of those late night hosts, but WandaVision I thought really set the the stage and was really, um, you know, uh, an interesting foray into TV Uh, unexpected that this would go first and followed up by winter soldier, which was not very good. Then we got Loki, which really, I think took the step that WandaVision didn't totally allow itself to, which was allowing Marvel to just kind of like lean into the weirdness. And Loki certainly did that. Um, you know, I, I think back to the episode where Loki has to team up with all the other Lokis from all their timelines, you know, and uh, <laughs> you get the the alligator Loki and the child Loki and uh, himself as an old man, which uh, that played by again. Um, Oh, um, Richard E. Grant. Yes, E. Grant. Thank you. I want to say Christopher Plummer, but I knew, obviously not Christopher Plummer. Um, rip. Yeah, major rip. Um, but Loki also subverted all my expectations of what I kind of expect a Marvel show to to be about, you know, and not only this character who um, is trying to, like, understand his place within the world and within these, these worlds, um, but understanding like how to like trust people, how to have actual connection with others, even if it's with just another version of himself. And we did get the big Marvel, you know, CGI fuck fest in the penultimate episode. But then the final episode was two Lokis having a conversation with uh, he who remains played by Jonathan majors. And it was absolutely surprising and unexpected and uh, riveting. I, I am excited to see Jonathan Majors in the MCU moving forward. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was uh, I thought it was really a, a pleasure to watch Loki week to week and I'm excited that it got re-upped for second season. Um, did you consider Loki for your list? I know you liked it a little more than WandaVision. No, I didn't consider either of them for my list. I think WandaVision is the more impressive television show because of how it weaves in homage to various TVs of television shows of the past, you know, decade by decade. I think it just has more interesting themes and productions and stuff. However, the ending it, it fizzles out. Loki is more of a fun, like rip roaring show, start to finish, but its ending kind of gets in the way. I think of its season because you, it becomes an MCU ending where it's like, oh, here you go, here's King the Conqueror's introduction, right? Ha- Hawkeye as a season of TV, not much of a season of TV. It's more like, oh, here's here's the kingpin, here's Florence Pugh coming back. You know, it's like Mar- Marvel has a hard time, I think, juggling all its masters. You know, like Shang Chi, I liked it so much because it was very 
straightforward and about it itself. And WandaVision and Loki, I think, were at their best when they were just self-contained about the actual core plot, the core characters. So it remains to be seen how Marvel handles um, this kind of storytelling in the future. Again, there's a lot more shows on the horizon, like Miss Marvel and She-Hulk. So we will see. Um, but yeah, you know, I think uh, overall they had a successful first year and, you know, people's mileage will vary with uh, how, mu- how much Marvel you're getting. But, you know, if you don't want to watch them, don't watch them, cause, but they'll be coming. And they'll have something important tied into them. So that's how they that's how they hook you if you're interested in the movies. Yeah. But Dave, what's your number nine show of the year? My number nine is What We Do in the Shadows, season three, FX, FX on Hulu. Yeah, it's just a really funny show, man. People know these things. It's hard to keep reiterating that same point about what we do in the shadows, that it is so funny. But it's the truth, honestly. And the reason I have it on my list now, I haven't had it on the list in the past. It's not that it's any more or less funny than before, but I just like how the the show has changed. The cast has grown. And, you know, with that, with, with that growth, there's been some deeper dramatic side of things uh, shown, such as Colin Robinson and what happens with his character throughout the course of the season. Uh, Nandor trying to be a hu- human. Uh, there's a lot to like about the show. And I think uh, overall, it's really funny, which is at the end of the day, a good baseline. But there was a bit of dramatic growth and character growth in season three. What we do in the shadows season three is actually my number three uh, season of TV this year. Uh, It's just continuously a pleasure to watch and they take it in such interesting directions. You know, uh, when, when I think about the show, uh, it's hard to just like pinpoint a singular moment that really stands out to me just because there's, there's so many good ones. Um, You know, like Nandor this season when he decides he doesn't want to be a vampire anymore. Yes. Yeah, goes to the, that that retreat or that like cult basically uh just everything about that episode is hilarious to me uh matt barry this season is laszlo with his like obsession with the like fucking books and uh he said <laughs> just had some of the best like one-liners throughout the whole season um yeah i think the one that you pointed out in our review was something like uh yeah, who would want to be straight for the your entire life or something like that like no vampires like that i'm, I'm totally butchering the line obviously but um just a, always a pleasure and, and i'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes from here i thought it was actually like a real like emotional moment when um colin uh colin robinson uh you know it's like dying at the end of the season um and it's like man is the show really gonna kill off colin robinson to bring it back um with him as a baby uh, teamed up with Laszlo, um, obviously Nadja going off to uh, England and uh, Nandor going to explore the world with Guillermo. I'm excited to see where it's going. It's, it's the funniest show on television. There's not much more to say. So we can move forward. You're number nine, my number three. Uh, next up on my list, Dave, is uh, a show that I expect you to have as well. Maybe not. Um, but one of my favorite newest shows of the year, which is Hacks. I'm excited to see where Hacks goes in season two. Um, yeah, but yeah this is number five for me. 
Nice. Um, I'll, I'll give you some some more time to vamp here. But what what I really just enjoyed about Hacks was not only was this a show that was somewhat of a surprise. I mean, you got Jean Smart, so you uh, and, and she you know gets to be like the star again. So it's like okay, you know, let's let's see what she does as like the main cook in the kitchen. But I felt like Hacks found a lot of uh, a lot of heart to it um, and the interplay between Jean Smart and uh, Hannah Einbinder, I thought was just really um, a pleasure to watch as it grew throughout the season. And then the way that Marcus played by Carl Clemens Hopkins, his character grew and you became more and more invested in um, what was going on for him in, in his personal life. And as this like other person who was trying to influence Deborah um, as Ava's trying to push her career in a different direction. I just thought it was, um, it was really interesting push and pull. And I had some, some great moments. You know, I think about when, when Deborah decides to go and, and do a stand-up set for the first time in a while, trying new stand-up material, I should say. And uh, she gets heckled by that guy and just totally breaks him down. I thought that that moment just stands out as a wonderful one, but there's a lot of great moments from the season. So really enjoyed it. Um, why was it your number five show? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of nailed it there, but it's the finally we're getting the Gene Smart star vehicle that people have wanted to see for so long. She's had such mm-hmm. a tremendous run on TV the last 10, nine years or so. So many standout roles, usually as a supporting character, but now she gets to be a lead and that simple premise of being a pastor prime stand-up comic that finds a newer or younger uh, writer to help punch up her material. Such a dynamite, easy-to-understand premise. But because you have such great performances from Einbinder and Smart combined with really great writing that, again, as you said, highlights that heart, colors in these characters, makes the show just as dramatic as it is funny. Uh, yeah, just a just a lovely surprise. I'm definitely looking forward to season two. And I think uh, you know this is technically a HBO Max original not a hbo original but clearly the best uh, hbo max original thus far absolutely um all right so that that was my number eight hacks your number five what's up next for you dave my number eight is scenes from a marriage on yeah. hbo the miniseries but definitely considered yes the remake of the igmar bergman series from a few decades back now featuring starring Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac. And, you know, it's something that will beat you down at times with its material, but the acting and the writing is just so strong. I just really couldn't ignore it. It's not that I love watching every moment of this show when Chastain and Isaac are having some of those fights, especially in the beginning of the show. It is brutal, man, because the writing is so real but so personal that watching them dress each other down is not pleasant to be in the company of. But again, I think the the writing is so good that like it feels so transportive and, you know, Chastain giving a better performance on this show than I think she did in eyes of Tammy Faye, Oscar Isaac giving a better performance in this than I think he did in the card counter. They both brought their a games to the series and, 
it doesn't overstay its welcome five episodes uh, we really didn't need a second more because it's it, it is tough to sit with at times but I, I i was just really really pleased with the whole thing overall and uh i guess the only weird thing about it was like the setup of every episode you watch uh isaac or chastain like walking to set in real life as you see uh production assistants and directors and what not wearing masks because it's real life and they shot this during COVID. Other than that, which was you know just kind of a weird like fourth wall breaking touch. I don't know if I added too much. Other than that, I think the whole the whole mini series is doing exactly what it's setting out to do. Yeah, like I like I mentioned, I definitely considered for my list. Um, just did not choose it because of everything that you said. It is not a pleasurable watch, and it, this is. Uh, very in line with what my job is every day so mm. it was i think felt especially tough at times for me to watch but yeah that's just a testament to the, the performances because this felt almost too real at times and really really brutal you know i think about that episode where they're they're finally they finally have decided uh, to get divorced they're selling their house and they're in it for like the last time and they they're kind of like doing it like oh well, you know like will they won't they come back together thing and like I think they end up having sex and then everything just starts falling apart and they end up like fighting actually like physically like fighting each other in the doorway. And I just was like, my stomach yeah. just like did backflips. Cause I, not in a good way. I just was like, Oh, this is really, really tough to watch. It's so brutal, but it, worst like, fight yet. And you'd already seen some bad ones. Yeah. And you know that not to, not to step on the disappointment um, section of the pod, but I actually in, th- in thinking about it really compared the show to master of none season three um, right. that came out this year. Cause uh, another show where it's about, you know, this relationship that was good and then fell apart and they went different directions. But I think this is just so much more, it just stays with you, man. Like in that, that's just a testament to the filmmaking and the acting. And yeah, I just uh, really was blown away by this. So good, really good choice for your list for sure. Um, moving on to number eight for me. I guess that's right. Uh, Eight, seven. Uh, Which one is it? Uh, this is, no, sorry, number seven. Um, this is, I think you should leave season two, which uh, <laughs> just kind of came out of nowhere for me. Um, and man, I got to say, I thought this was fucking awesome. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you go back and listen to our review, I th- we, I binged the second season in a weekend. Uh, you know, the episodes are quick, 15 minutes, sketch show on Netflix, uh, filmed by Tim Robinson, uh, who stars and writes almost everything. And uh, at the time, I didn't think season two had lived up to season one's consistency. But the thing about this show is that these sketches get stuck in your head and they are made to be memed. And I think the <laughs> memeability of the show it just adds to it. And oh, man, uh, I just uh, there are so many, so many skits from this season that I really, really loved. Um, you know, whether it was uh, the hot dog sketch like you see behind, where mm. uh, they cancel lunch, so he has to bring hot a hot dog in his sleeve to uh, you know the the boardroom meeting, and he gets called out for it. Or when he wears the the hat with the flaps this is part of your hat with the flaps and gets called out in a court proceeding <laughs> and while they're reading texts about it and it, he gets super embarrassed it's just it always takes things to the next level you never know where the show is going to go it's predictable and then it's just so rewatchable like the because the skits are so quick 
and so funny and there's so much to take away from it you just find yourself going back for more and more and it grows on you as as you do so i think you should leave season two uh my number seven show of the year dave what's up next for you my number seven is it's a sin the british uh production channel four aired in the u.s on hbo russell t davies miniseries about a group of young men and some of their friends growing up in London, just as the AIDS epidemic is beginning to begin. And all these men are, most of these men are, are gay. And they, you know, there's a the camaraderie, the friendship that they have as they're finding their way through a, a world, a culture that is not accepting of them. And then once they realize a disease that is tearing apart, them and people like them that world that culture is not uh doing what it should be doing to educate let alone help prevent uh the tragedy that unfolds and i think why why i like the show so much which also was a bit of a surprise uh beginning of the year russell d davies though has a as a reputation as a creator so i guess it wasn't a complete surprise but what i really liked about it is it's really personal you know, you, you and and yet the show doesn't over overstay its welcome. If anything, we could have used more time with these characters because I think the characters are all really finely written, and these relationships, these friendships, we're really invested in. And the show skips around in time as we get we advance through stages of the AIDS epidemic, and characters have various fates, but. Because the the writing and, and the, the camaraderie is so well 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 realized, I would have loved more time uh, with these characters. But that's not what we get, you know. It's, it's short but sweet. And yes, there's some sadness, as you can imagine, about a show of this subject matter, no question. But uh, I think overall, it's just it's a, it's a really triumphant show, and starring uh, Ali Alexander of years and years, you know, becoming a multi hyphenate uh, talent in his own right. So, yeah, it was a surprise for me, but I really liked it. This is a great one. And definitely, I think, a, a show I, I overlooked in making this list. And I think I actually, <laughs> chalking that up to the fact it did come out so early in the year. Uh, I actually kind of forgot that this came out this year. But, man, what a great choice. This was a pleasure to watch. And if you haven't checked it out on HBO, I think this got overlooked by a lot of people because it was dropped earlier in the year. And, um you know, not necessarily something like you said that had a huge, uh, like promotional side to it. Um, definitely check it out. I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. Dave, we're moving on on my list, and you know, it almost kind of pains me have this have the Underground Railroad at number six. But man, this might be the most like expertly made. I guess maybe second most expertly made season of television we're going to talk about on my list because you have Barry Jenkins doing TV dude and everything about this show just feels so meticulously crafted and thought out and it's really 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 well done I think it falls to number six on my list I, I don't I know I don't necessarily need to defend where it is but I feel almost kind of like I have to because it probably deserves to be a pyre but it's not always the most fun time <laughs> you know similar to um scenes from marriage 
yeah i mean obviously i think anyone that knows what the underground railroad is can guess the material and uh it's not a fun hang a lot of the time and for me that that takes it away it takes away a little bit of my viewing um enjoyment but it definitely is just so 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 well done and impressive um i'm really ex- I, I i wish barry jenkins would make more stuff but i i appreciate that he takes his time and puts so much thought into all of this where did it fall on your list well, in terms of Barry Jenkins making some stuff, he's now paying the tax due on this show because he's making the fucking Lion King 2. Complete waste of his talents. But alas, let the man get paid. Uh, yeah, the Underground Railroad is number four for me. And, I mean, without question, the best Amazon Prime video series to date. We like, actually, maybe second. Uh, it's definitely second after Fleabag. I keep forgetting about Fleabag because that's also BBC, I believe. But... Uh, Amazon Prime original, you have like this and the boys. This, it, it, it's not much of a competition. Uh, competition, right? But yeah, I have a number four. And like you said, like it, 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 I would call it the best made show because it's basically like just straight up filmmaking from an acclaimed filmmaker. So much so that Barry Jenkins has all his freaking collaborators here. Nicholas Bertel scoring it. Uh, James Laxton, cinematographer. All the people he works with on his movies worked with him on this anyway. And like you said, there is a lot of darkness. There is a lot of evil on the Underground Railroad. It does not shy away from the tragedy, from the horror that accompanies uh, slavery at this time. And I think what, what makes a show so impressive is that it, it's so unflinching in its portrayal of that brutality, but it's also just as strong in its portrayal of tenderness in black love and the production side of things with its lighting and its uh, close-up with the camera really knows how to showcase the different sides of its story and its themes you know think of those close-ups on people's faces often without any speech and you know when we're in indiana when we're in a relatively peaceful time in the show um you know the, the way things are colored in when we meet william jackson harper's character right like the visual style the visual storytelling of the Underground Railroad is so impressive. And, you know, it's so transportive, everything about this series, um, which makes sense, again, given the uh, acclaimed nature of the Colson Whitehead book we're adapting here, the reputation of Barry Jenkins, as everyone knows at this point. And I guess if I had to, like, ding it for anything, it's just that, like, Cora isn't the best lead character I saw this year. She's intentionally more reserved, more focus on her fierce desire to obviously survive. But, you know, I think thematically, there's just so much to appreciate and admire about the show, even if there are, there are, there are plenty of aspects to it that um, I wouldn't begrudge anyone for not wanting to experience. You know, I think uh, also had one of the most fascinating characters of the year for me, honestly, which was Homer, the, uh, you know, the little uh, young black boy that accompanied Joel Edgerton's uh, Ridgeway character, our chief villain. I thought the the kind of dichotomy between them, the uh, slave catcher, and then the the free black man, free black boy that accompanies the slave catcher, I thought it was really fascinating. And there was more room on that bone for sure. But yeah, overall, I think Underground Railroad is just you, you don't watch shows like this like ever, honestly. You know, yeah. like it, it, it's it's one of a kind. Absolutely. Um, all right, so. That was your number four. So what was up next on your list before this? 
Uh, so yeah, my number five is hacks as well. Number seven, it's a sin. So number six for me is the White Lotus on HBO Ooh. for Mike White. My number two. Let's there talk about it. Yeah. So something that also surprised me a bit in the summer this year because I wasn't super up on Mike White's uh, filmmaking, TV making career. I, I really knew him as a guy in School of Rock, honestly. But Mike White's sensibilities as a creator, as a writer, are so great. And I was so happy to uh, finally experience them because The White Lotus is just a seething you know, satire on wealth and privilege and so many things. But what I liked, I think, most of all about it is the show really doesn't shy away from treating its core characters poorly because they they deserve it and it's impressive storytelling and i just really like how everything kind of comes together with the white lotus no very few if any of these character arcs are satisfying to watch but that again it's kind of the point because the bigger themes are what's most important yeah i think you summarized it really well um i i was just so impressed with how much this show surprised me because it started off as, you know, it, it had a feeling like, Ooh, is there going to be like some surreal nature to this resort or is there going to be something else going on? And it really, like you said, ended up just being this satirical look at wealth and privilege and, um, you know, the, the way that people in, in power use these sorts of places and are less powerful or in different positions uh, to, uh, push themselves further, feel good about themselves. You know, I'm thinking specifically about Jennifer Coolidge's character as I speak about that. But um, yeah, the show left me thinking um, way more than I ever expected to and just reflecting on um, the message. And I feel like it very much could have been a show that just was kind of like, yeah, this is like some funny situations that these rich fucks get in and there's some you know uh you know some like surface level messages to this and kind of just call it a day and say wow that was well made and it looked good and it was on a resort and blah blah but no it ended up being very deep and thoughtful and i thought um a show that reflected a side of um you know capitalism and (laughs) you know the upper class that uh i did not see coming so which is totally blown away by it. Uh, I think we are getting a season two, right? We are. So, yeah, and um, Jennifer Coolidge is returning for that second season as well. Yeah, and you know, we had uh, Nine Perfect Strangers come out shortly afterwards and did not nearly live up to the hype. Not doing the exact same thing, but very similar premise. So right. um, I, think there's, uh, I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that Mike White pulled this off and maybe uh, other shows aren't able to do quite the same. So... My number two, your number six. Is that correct? Correct. All right. So up next on my list is actually something we didn't talk about on the pod this year, and I caught up on a little bit later. So yeah, my number five is the show we didn't talk about on the pod. I caught up on it late, which is Only Murders in the Building, the Hulu uh, breakout show of the year, I'd say. Mm. Um, definitely a, a surprise, but uh, you know, when you have Martin, jeez, uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Martin Steve uh, Short, Martin. Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. Uh, you have to expect that you know the, there's going to be something good coming out of this with, with those three at the helm. And 
I really loved this show because I think it towed the line of a couple different genres pretty well. Um, I, first of all, I think it's a fairly decent like New York TV show, which I was kind of surprised at, but it really does take you around like um, Manhattan in different ways uh, or to different parts of it. I think they're located on like the Upper East Side, I believe. Um, but you really like have this like look at like these rich people in New York city in this crazy apartment building. Um, but then it's also uh, a murder mystery show <laughs> as well as a buddy show and like a show about like developing friendship and just like a comedy, you know, you get Steve Martin and, and Martin short just kind of doing their thing, being themselves. And Martin short certainly gets to be a little more flamboyant and <laughs> it really is him just playing himself, even if, you know, that's not the character's name. His name is Oliver on the show. Um, and Steve Martin playing more of the straight man. Um, I was just really impressed with it. It kept me guessing the whole time. Uh, made me laugh. I was on the edge of my seat for the finale. Um, and honestly, Amy Ryan, uh, who was uh, played Jan, um, uh, who ends up being the killer. Sorry to spoil this for anybody. Um, I thought, and you would know her as Holly from The Office. I thought it was like a real surprise, but like played her part really well. Um, and yeah, it, I, I think if you haven't watched this, you should definitely tune in and they are setting up season two uh, really well. Um, Cara Delevingne is joining the cast. So mm. uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the addition of her, but <laughs> uh, I definitely think uh, this was one of the surprise surprises of the year for me. And I'm really looking forward to where the show goes next. So only murders in the building. My number five, Dave, what's up next on your list? So I'm up to number three. Are you up to number three? Uh, I have my four and one left. Okay. My number three is mayor of East town on HBO. Nice. Did not make my list. Yeah. So I guess in a sense, mayor of East town is anything revelatory, you know, there's a lot of familiar components to it. Mystery crime series. Who done it? Uh, Dead girl. End of episode one. Familiar trope. But I think it's. I really like it for its transportive nature to these uh, not very affluent suburbs in the Philadelphia area, and just the, the the coloring in of our cast of characters, and we get just as invested in, if not more invested in their emotional lives and their struggles and conflicts as we do in actually solving this crime. And because this, this crime and the unsolved nature of it are affecting this town in such a way, everything I think coalesces in a uh, impactful way that when you actually find out who killed her, how they did it, it, it kind of is like besides the point at that point, because you've already progress past that point i think in watching the series and central to this of course is i mean amy nicholson great supporting performance wins the emmy but central performance of course kate winslet doing a prestige drama for hbo and it lives up to the hype uh, she's really tremendous in this as a completely broken down character that is uh mayor sheen so yeah yeah i i think it's uh not not always the funnest thing to watch either it's a it's a bit sullen, but um, I guess levity-wise, you do have a tremendous Evan Peters performance, especially when he is uh, 
uh, drunk at that one point. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Overall, you know, it, it's not uh, a type of show you ha- haven't seen before, but it's still, I think, really executed on well for that kind of show. Yeah, I think you summarized why this this could have made my list. It was definitely like 11 or 12. I was going back and forth on it. Um, just the way that it, I think, balanced the the mystery of these killings and the whodunit with um, the interpersonal conflicts and the uh, intrapersonal conflicts that the show explores. And um, yeah, I, I don't know if I have too much more to add. I just thought it was a real pleasure. I, I, I enjoyed every step of the ride. Um, uh, do we know if we're getting a second season of this? I can't imagine Winslet wants to do so too much So they've more. left it open. Was it uh, uh, Winslet and uh, Brad Inglesby, I believe, mm-hmm. here? They, they've left it open, which I think is smart. Never, never get rid of your options. But I don't know if we necessarily need, need it. But you could definitely see them making another season. No, 100%. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I wouldn't mind seeing it, but I can't imagine Winslet wants to do TV too much. So we'll see. Dave, I think that brings us, I think we each have, what, two left on our list at this point? Two left, yep. And I think we probably have the same two. So my number four is Squid Game. Where'd this fall on your list? Squid Game is my number two. I wasn't sure if this was going to make your list. Yeah, no, I, I in thinking about Squid Game and, you know, when we make these lists, I try to, try to balance out all the factors of it squid game was a real moment cultural moment of the year um yes. most watched show recently on, too end of the year yeah most watched show on netflix um from south korea really uh i think really interesting look at um classism and poverty and uh the capitalistic structures that kind of hold us all down and the desperation that it leads people to, uh, you know, drives people to make things or make decisions and do things that wouldn't expect. Also just a really fascinating concept and, uh, you know, some really well built built in plot devices. And it explores, I think parts of humanity that a lot of shows don't explore to the same depth. Not only that, but incredibly stylized, Um, you know, how many squid game, uh, costumes did you see for Halloween this year? How many? Right, of course. If you see one frame from the show, you know what show it is. And I think there's just so much to like about it. Even if I didn't love it as much as a lot of people did, I still think this is worthy of being up on any list for this year. Why was it your number two? Yeah, I was really blown away with the two factors of the show. On one hand, you have this really propulsive uh, thriller. That is really fun to engage with, you know, the twists and turns, the mystery, seeing who's going to survive, who isn't getting attached to your central cast, not caring that there's some inherent plot armor with our main characters once you realize who those main characters are. It's just really propulsive, good action, good drama. However, what what takes the show to the next level is, of course, it's political comment. It's scathing satire of modern day capitalism presenting in a really convincing way that these people would rather risk their lives almost certainly die for the chance at generational wealth versus actually just trying to survive in the real world you know it's it's really seething and i 
think what what really like hammers home that point and makes you really believe in these characters is that they take you out of the game for a whole episode right in the beginning of the series. And then you watch them. No, they decide a second time all to go back and play the game. I love that choice so much. And yeah, I, I agree. There's stuff you don't love, like like Ji Hun as our lead protagonist. He's not the most likable guy, especially in the beginning of the show. He's just not the most competent person I've ever met as a gambling problem, not the best dad, et cetera, right? But kind of an unlikely hero. I still still kind of liked him in the end and we do know that uh we're getting a a second season from uh huang dung hyuk down the line i think he wants to get a writer's room involved as well which is really tantalizing to me to have more people contribute to uh the future of the squid game world it's kind of wild to think that this show was completely conceived by just one person yep but i i, I think it really lands if anything the the weakest aspect is how it's protracted ending, you know, yes. like the, the propulsive nature of the thriller all lands, but then there's like an extra episode or episode and a half after the game is done, which isn't quite as strong as the game, as you can imagine. Uh, and I guess, yeah. like, you know, the, the VIPs and the, some of the people running the game, maybe not as satisfying as being with the people in the game, but I think the, the overall, there's just so much to like about it. Yeah, probably the character that I've seen people liking the most is uh, Sai Byok, um, mm-hmm. who is a North Korean defector. Um, yes. Uh, she's, you know, Ho Yan Jung is just, seems like she's going to be a rock star, someone that yeah. we're. She's already the most followed actor from Korea, despite only acting in one thing. Yeah, she's, she's, she's internationally <laughs> famous already. Um, but yeah, the, the show, I think, makes a lot of really great choices, uh, you know, pitting. Ji Hun up against uh, Song Wu at the very end, and yeah. you know having them basically like fight each other to the death, the death to see who wins, and uh, just really really gutting at times. Yeah. Um, the marbles episode, of course. The marbles episode was the one I was going to highlight. It's just like if you really want to go through the range of emotions and understand why this show is great, I think that the marbles episode is the highlight. So. Squid Game, my number four, your number two. Uh, I think everybody's watched it, but if you haven't, I guess, check it out. Um, And that leaves us both with the same number one. And if you follow the podcast at all, you knew that this was coming. Succession. Surprise. Our number one. Yeah, right. Uh, Dave, what is there to say about Succession that hasn't been said as to why it's great? Yeah, so just as a reminder, we've reviewed almost all of these shows at length, season-long reviews on the pod. And the Succession review, obviously, was very recent, given that season three just re- uh, just concluded a few weeks back. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you don't know, now you know that Succession season three just kind of keeps the run going. And what that means is that you just have these immense personal relationships continuing to be whittled down and refined and colored in and characterized and you're just so invested and connected to these characters that even when the plot movement stops and starts, I couldn't care less because I'm just getting to be with more of these characters. However, the conclusion of the show with a masterful finale uh, for season three, the conclusion of the season, I think really sets up the show for its next phase due to how uh, Kendall's relationship with uh, Roman and Shiv is 
change and progressed and and Shiv and, and Roman's relationship with Logan has also progressed and uh, just where where the show has left us from a plot perspective where the show continues to leave us with from a writing perspective from a characterization's perspective it's just so masterclass at this point yeah uh, I don't really have too much more to add beyond um, everybody on this season somehow leveled up their acting performances and uh, there are moments on this show that I'm probably not ever going to forget you know jeremy strong in that final episode when he's talking about you know i'm i'm, I'm blown in a million pieces so fucking lonely like those line readings are just impeccable um you know you get sarah snook in that final scene you know that final showdown with her dad and then realizing that her husband flipped on her um you know the look on her face the way that she played that scene so perfectly Kieran Culkin, the MVP of the season, um, you could just do a highlight reel of just his non-verbal communication on the show and, and what that says, and let alone him delivering lines and being schmarmy and charming and cunning and devious the whole time. That's not even talking about probably the second MVP, which is Mc, McFadden. I mean, who just says, as Tom is just unbelievable in, in terms of his restraint and delivering lines with such subtlety but so much heartbreak and pain behind them just so impressive and we didn't even mention brian cox bro like that that's how deep this show runs that like brian cox the most established actor um on the show is uh sometimes like the fifth fiddle <laughs> in terms of what we're talking about so succession is just fantastic um it's the best show on television it's the only show out right now that i feel like rivals that like peak those peak TV shows like Breaking Bad or uh, Game of Thrones when it was at its heights, things like that. Like this is, I I want to watch this show when it drops because I I don't want to miss a second of of being with these characters. So, um, Succession, both our number ones. Let's run through our ten to ones. Then we'll do some uh, honorable mentions and some disappointments. You go first. Yep. So number ten, Sex Education, season three from Netflix. Number nine, What We Do in the Shadows, season three, FX. Number eight, Scenes from a Marriage, HBO. Number seven, It's a Sin, channel four slash HBO. Number six, The White Lotus, HBO. Number five, Hacks, HBO Max. Number four, The Underground Railroad, Amazon Prime Video. Number three, Mayor of Easttown, HBO. Number two, Squid Game, Netflix. And number one, Succession, once again, HBO. My uh, my ten was Ted Lasso, uh, Apple Plus. Number uh, nine was Disney Plus's Loki and WandaVision. Eight hacks HBO. Seven, I think you should leave season two on Netflix. Uh, six, The Underground Railroad, Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime. Number five, Only Murders in the Building, Hulu. Number four, Squid Game. Number three, What We Do in the Shadows, FX. Two, White Lotus on HBO, and Succession is my number one on HBO. Dave, give me a give me a couple of honorable mentions for you that maybe we didn't talk about. Yeah, so I had Ted Lasso in like my top fifteen. You talked about that. Um, what just missed the cut for me was Star Wars Visions on Disney Plus, the anime anthology series, and I really loved it because I think it's just really effective use of an anthology series, especially in the non-canon variety. Uh, for you know big running ip in this case star wars 
episodes in particular, like the first one, the duel and the ninth Jedi and the village bride, just really awesome, you know, quick little hitters, but like some of the themes there with like mysticism and nature and stuff, just, just really great. Like just being in the star Wars world and just from people that, you know, just really love, love it, you know? So I would love to see a season two just because shit's just really fucking cool. That was a really good one. Um, just want to rattle off a few for me that just missed the cut um, that, that we didn't mention because a lot of the ones that were on yours just that were on mine just missed. Uh, Dave, uh, season two, I thought really leveled up. And um, yeah, I did never expected the show to be something that like could break your heart at the same time. And it, it just is firing at all cylinders. Uh, Betty, I thought I had another good season. Maybe fortunately canceled. I know, which is really too bad, but um, really enjoyed being with those characters. And lastly, Halston, which in, inconsistent, but with some really like memorable moments. Um, and uh, I'm glad you and McGregor got got some love for that. Yeah. Um, let, let me also just shout out lastly, Lupin, Netflix uh, French show, specifically Lupin Part One, which I yeah, really like. There you go. As the uh, crime caper mystery, Omar C. So cunning and debonair and really fun and then fortunately we also got part two in this very year so i had to judge the show by both parts and part two uh just is a really convoluted messy plot and uh the momentum of season one part one is completely lost so it didn't make my list but part one i thought was quite exceptional any major disappointments for you this year yeah, so I know we both share uh, probably the biggest disappointment of the year for me anyway. Master of None Season 3 on yeah. Netflix. Um, yeah. Was it Moments in Love was the subtitle? Mm-hmm. Notably not featuring Aziz Ansari in a starring role. In this case, Lena Waithe, previously a supporting character in the first two seasons, now taking center stage alongside a new character, her partner, played by Naomi Aki. And you know, Aziz obviously... Uh, not as much in front of front of the camera as it used to be due to obviously what's gone on with his personal life and his career, but still involved in the creation of this show. But for me, I, I just had a hard time investing in it. You know, I, I think it, it, it's, it's kind of like dull to sit with at times, you know, there's some nice, really nice moments and nice piece, nice scenes, but overall it, it just didn't really come together for me. And it was a bit of a, tonal disappointment you know it just felt a little incongruous compared to the first two seasons which obviously just have a lighter and more comedic element to them even if there's plenty of serious things going on in, in those seasons as well yeah that was definitely one of mine i think the only only other disappointment was american crime story impeachment sorry uh ryan murphy which you know <laughs> our thoughts on ryan murphy are well documented at this point but i was really hoping that this would at least be something that could captivate me for a few episodes. I mean, I, the impeachment of Bill Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky uh, aspect of it all is, is something that I remember very vividly growing up, like hearing about and probably one of the first like scandals that I can really remember. Mm. So I was really fascinated to see how it played out. Um, and it just, after one episode, we were like, we're out. Like, and, and I tried to tune in a few more times, especially like once uh, Bill Clinton finally shows up and, Man, I I just couldn't do it, and uh, just uh everything Ryan Murphy touches at this point just feels like it's not working for me. So I'm hoping he can get his groove back. Any yeah. others you want to? Yeah, so like? I guess the last one for me, which 
it's not much of a disappointment because I didn't have like any hype for it or anything. But Nine Perfect Strangers just wasn't yeah. very good, despite having a tremendous cast. You know, mm-hmm. I just want to also shout out because um, I don't think it'll it will make either one of our movies of the year either. But Bo Burnham's Inside, I don't know what to do with that for end of year lists, but certainly something yeah. i think that we should mention right S- stuff like bo burnham's inside i just keep on separate lists i have like the beatles get back same thing it's yeah, like yeah. it's really three movies but because it's a series of movies i'm not putting it on my movie list so it's just on its own thing yeah that, that's how i treat stuff like that i just uh wimp out and don't try <laughs> yeah uh if if that did count for tv uh for me because i want to do like seasons um it probably would have fallen somewhere in the top five six maybe so maybe seven um but yeah just a total uh totally uh, awesome well-made special so uh anyways that's gonna do it for us um if you aren't already hit that subscribe button on youtube.com slash pod to follow all of our content we'll be doing end of year movies coming up as well as one final episode of the year um we're also going to be heading into the new year and so that means you should be following our Nostalgia Best of 2022 Spotify playlist, which will be up soon, as well as check out everything that was good this year in music and our Best of the uh, Music 2021 uh, episode, as well as our Nostalgia Best of 2021 playlist on Spotify. And also follow us at NostalgiaPod on Twitter. Um, we'll catch you in 2022. Yeah.